It's another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, faithful sidekick. Ron, something that has plagued a lot of people over the years, it's always been around, is debt. But right now, you keep seeing these statistics that the level of debt for a lot of people is getting to be a real choke point. And frankly, because of the pandemic and stuff, we know that people have been putting themselves in tight situations. We understand that. But there are solutions to dealing with debt, and that's what we want to delve into on this episode of Making Money. I think that it is one of the most important things to look at because you look at a recent Nielsen survey, and it kind of ties in with what Will Rogers says, and that too many people spend the money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. (laughs) And, you know, the Nielsen survey shows that people making under $50,000 a year, and that's a family living typically paycheck to paycheck, half of them don't have enough money uh, to meet any expenses at all. In other words, their bank account is empty. Now, you'd think as people would make more money that that would change, but people making between fifty and 100000 a year, one in three has no money in their bank account. And families making over $150,000 a year, it's one in four whose bank account is completely empty. In other words, they live and spend every dime they make. And probably because their bank accounts are empty, they're loaded up right to the eyeball with credit. And that's the real stumbling block here. If uh, we've, we've all talked about credit card debt over the years. I read somewhere the other day, too, that some of the credit card companies were actually upping their rates a little bit. Uh, it is a staggering load that you carry if you have credit card debt, but there's other kinds of debt, too. There's mortgage debt. There's you know, you've bought yourself a car, you're in hawk on your car, and it just piles up on you, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, you, you buy a $300,000 house with a 5% rate in over 30 years, you're going to pay almost 600000 in total payments. If you have credit card debt and you were lucky enough to find an interest rate at 20%, even though rates are virtually zero, the debt doubles every 3.6 years. And if you have a credit card where interest rates are around 30%, and many of the consumer and retail store credit cards, that's what they charge, your debt doubles every 2.4 years. So, you know, if you have high levels of debt, especially credit card debt, it's just going to bury you. So is there a definition, though, Ron? Can we say there's good debt and bad debt? Yes, there is, actually. And good debt is taken out to buy investments that are expected to appreciate over time, like real estate, stocks, GICs, and small businesses. And generally, good debt is is tax deductible and bad debt won't buy things like vacations, cell phones, computers, leisure items, cars. And these are assets that essentially go down in value. And even worse, if you borrow to buy them, you can't deduct the interest. So good debt is for things that go up. Bad debt is for things that go down. So you have a little note here about debt service ratio guidelines. Explain, please. (laughs) You know, if you have a fever, you stick a thermometer in your mouth and it tells you how high your temperature is. But if you have debt, the way you tell how dangerous your debt levels are getting is to look at what's called debt service guidelines. So you take your annual income and then you look at how much of that income is being devoured by debt service every month or every year. And that's called your total debt service ratio. And typically, 
the alarm bells start going off and you're, you're going to find it hard for traditional lenders to want to give you any money if that total debt service ratio is above 40%. And certainly, if it gets even higher than that, then you're going to have to go to non-traditional rent lenders, you know, second mortgages, um, pay loans, where interest rates can go up to 30%. So you really want to be careful with debt levels. You don't want to let them get too high because then it impinges on everything else. You don't have enough money to, for example, put gas in your car, buy your kids uh, books and things for school and clothes. And you're not going to have enough money for food and many of the other things. So you've got to be careful about your debt guidelines. All right. So let's talk about uh, home mortgages. I guess that for most people is probably the biggest chew that they have in debt, right? Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend of mine who, who his daughter lives in Toronto and they're spending nine times their combined <clears throat> annual salary to buy a house. Good Lord. So they make about 100 grand a year together which isn't a bad income but they're buying a $935,000 house and so you know the the rule of thumb is that you shouldn't pay more than about 3 times your annual salary for a house and no more than 32% of your income should be dedicated to servicing the mortgage and other related home expenses you know like your taxes and so on so what people don't do like they used to do in the past, is they don't start small and build up. They want to have their dream home right out of university or just after their first job. And so they're spending a lot of money on very, very expensive homes. And if interest rates go up or they lose their job, they're going to lose their house. So start simple. Three times your annual salary is 300 grand. A lot of couples are able to make hundred grand a year combined and as a result if, if you bought a condo for three hundred thousand dollars then start paying it down and any extra income you have work down the mortgage after five years or so maybe you fix it up a little bit on the inside you sell it for three hundred and fifty thousand maybe you've got by that time another hundred thousand or hundred and fifty thousand altogether worth of equity in this thing because you had to put up a down payment well, then you can use that and you could buy yourself a little bigger house, especially if your income goes up as your career prospects blossom. And you maybe over your lifetime, you make three or four step ups to finally get the home you want. But people don't want to do that these days. So no one wants to start in the home that is maybe three to four times um, their annual salary. It's just below them. And that's, that's unfortunate. Have to temper expectations is what it boils down to. Cars, not a good, not a good investment, really. When you think about it, you know, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's worth less than you paid for it, right? Well, you know, the IC Cars report shows that the average vehicle depreciates in value by 49.1% in its first five years of ownership, and then it starts leveling off. But this is not an asset that's going to make you money. No, it's an asset you probably need because if you work, you are going to need wheels to get around, and especially these days, uh, with public transit being a little bit more dangerous, people are opting to, to have their own set of, of wheels to get around. But you need to temper your payments, and there's a rule called the 24-10 rule, 
and it suggests that when making a financially sustainable car purchase to put 20% of its value down, limit the term of the loan to four years, and these days you're seeing car loans of eight years and people not even paying off their car loan over eight years, they flip it over onto a new vehicle and it just makes the debt pile even higher and literally cap your payments at no more than 10% of your annual income. So by doing that, it keeps your debt costs or your payment costs on a vehicle, it keeps them affordable. So do you have any recommendations there about, uh, you know, well, let's talk, another area too is student loans. And this has been talked about so much. It seems that there's more focus on it down in the States, and I don't know why that is. Uh, I guess the cost of education is, is prohibitively more expensive in the United States. But let's talk about student loans too. Well, student loan debt in the U.S. is $32,371, and the average student loan takes 20 years to pay back. And so there are so many students that are, are taking on enormous amounts of debt, and you need to look at how much debt you take on in relation to how much you expect to earn in your first year. So a person going into medicine, for example, can take on more debt than, than someone going into social work. And the basic student role, uh, loan rule says that you shouldn't take on more debt uh, than exceeds your first year, first year salary. So if you expect to come out of university and you're going to have a job that pays 25000 a year, that's the debt you can take on. Obviously, down in the States especially, if you're a doctor, you can, within a couple of years, you're making half a million a year. Well, you can, your debt load can go higher because you're going to have more of an ability to pay it back. I think you wanted to touch a little bit more on cars, too. I, I know that you sent me a note. Uh, you have some interesting statistics about types of vehicles and what, what doesn't appreciate as, as much or what doesn't depreciate as much, too. Well, depreciation rates need to be paid attention to because when you buy a vehicle, it's not just your insurance, it's not just your gasoline and your repair costs that you've got to take into your total cost of ownership, you have to include in that depreciation. So if you buy a $100,000 vehicle and it's worth 50000 after five years, it means that your depreciation costs are $10,000 a year for the five years of ownership, which is, for most vehicles, is going to be the highest cost in that total arrangement. So. If you look at different kinds of vehicles, you'll find that, for example, utilities and trucks, on average, drop in value by 37%, whereas European luxury sedans, the average appreciation over five years in this group is 67%. So you've got to be very careful on the kind of vehicle you're buying, especially if you're buying new. I got some friends in the car business, uh, Ron, that were telling me here not too long ago, if you had a truck, you could get more than you paid for it if you wanted to take the trouble to get it down to the States to resell it. I mean, trucks are so much in demand. They've really held their value and in some cases almost increased it. Well, one of the problems is that the most popular truck is the, the Ford F-150. And Ford has been having trouble getting semiconductors, you know, the computer chips that go in these things. So it's limited, been one of the limiting factors that has, has kept many of their vehicles from getting out on the market. So there's a shortage of trucks in the U.S. right now. So if you have a truck in Canada, 
there are guys, if you want to sell it, uh, you might be able to go to a flipper, and a guy will buy it, put on a truck, and ship it to the U.S., and you might even be able to get more for it. So let's talk a little bit about how we solve this issue of debt. What, what, what are the steps we should take? There, you, have to, you have to establish a plan, obviously. Well, first sit down and reach a consensus with your significant other, your spouse, your mate, whatever you want to call that person. And get control of debt requires the joint effort from both parties. So uh, unless you're in an arrangement where what's yours is yours and what, what's hers or his is, is theirs, but most people share. So if one person is spending like a drunken sailor and the other one is trying to be prudent, it isn't going to work. So you have, if, you, if you share bank accounts, if you share income, if you split costs, you really want to sit down and reach a consensus. That's going to be the only way that you'll ever get out of debt is if both of you are pulling in the same direction. So what about your credit cards? Well, one of the things that is very, very easy to do is to consolidate your credit card debt with a low-interest bank loan. So if credit cards are 20 to 30%, um, you should be able to consolidate those loans with, uh, with a, a bank loan that might be as, as, as little as a sixth of what you're paying right now. Also, you can lower your borrowing limits on your credit cards so that you're not tempted to spend. I know uh, two of my kids have taken their credit cards and phoned the company and lowered their limit to $500, and they've kept one card, and the other two or three cards they had, they just cut them up. So it's one way, if you don't have the cards, you can't spend. So what about uh, buying used as opposed to new? That's always a possibility, especially, for instance, when it comes to automobiles, right? Yeah, you know, you can save 50% by buying used, and in, in some cases, if you're you're shopping for stuff online, you can buy things that are hardly used at all, and if they're not popular items, you can buy them for 80%, 90% below their SRP. So it's a very good way to get ahead at much less cost, for sure. What about good old cash? Should we be using cash? I mean, not very many people do anymore, but use cash to pay for certain items, and then you're not taking on more debt. Yeah, I, I personally believe if you want a leisure item, you should save for it. So, you know, you go down to the bank and have four or five different savings accounts that you've got money set aside. So if you like to take a vacation every year, every month you're setting aside a certain amount. In the end of the year, well, whatever you have, that's what you spend on your vacation. If you want to save because you're a fly fisherman or you like art, well, put away a certain amount of money every month for, for that hobby. So for your leisure items, and for daily expenses, you should pay for those out of cash. You should borrow to invest because borrowing to invest means you're putting money in things that go up in value. And a good rule of thumb here, Gord, is don't borrow more than you, can't, than you can pay back in one year. Borrow prudently. Definitely. Okay, we have another question here. This is a big one. And, and this, you know, when I saw the question, I thought, now that is thought-provoking. Somebody asked us, is Tesla going to buy a major car manufacturer in the not-too-distant future? I mean, Elon Musk has made a lot of money this last couple of years. He's got a lot of cash. Do you think he might go after one of the big three? I suspect that uh, that is certainly an option for him. And I mean, you look at the value of Tesla. Tesla right now is trading at around a trillion dollars. So if you multiply all the shares and the stock options available, by the current share price, 
it is worth a trillion dollars, which is, frankly, as much as all the other car companies combined. So if Tesla especially went to another car manufacturer and gave them um, stock instead of paying cash for an acquisition, they could buy just about anybody they wanted to. And of course, Tesla is very good on the electronic side of things, but Tesla, frankly, has to go out and from scratch build manufacturing facilities where many of these other companies have manufacturing facilities and also train staff that you can just come in, plug in your design. There's going to have to be some retooling, obviously, but that retooling is certainly cheaper than starting from the beginning if and building a, a new plant from scratch if you can buy things cheaply. And many of these companies are, frankly, priced like they're going to go under. So... Uh, I think that's certainly an opportunity for uh, Elon Musk to take a look at. And, you know, just anecdotally, I was watching a show on TV a couple of weeks ago where this line of dialogue came up and it, it got my attention. And we, we hear the word trillion so much these days. They're talking about relief programs in the States of $1.9 trillion. We have over a trillion dollars in debt in Canada. And the stat was a million seconds is something like just, you know, a handful of days, 20 days or something. A billion seconds is 34 years. A trillion seconds, mastodons were roaming North America. And I thought that's an interesting way to put it into perspective. The word flows so easily off the tongue, but it's a big number. Well, you look at the amount of debt we've got to pay off, and maybe mastodons will be ruling North America <laughs> before that happens again. <laughs> All right, my friend. That's it for this edition of Making Money. Remember, if you have a question for the financial coach, you can send it to us through our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or you can visit us as well through the CFCW, our friends at cfcw.com. You can reach us through that portal as well, and we'll address it in upcoming episodes. I, I know this is one we want to chew on here, and this is a big topic, Ron, and this is upcoming episodes of Making Money, inflation versus deflation versus stagflation. Those are terms we've used in the past on the show, but we want to do a little more drilling down on what they mean and what the ramifications of each one of them mean. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, when you look at how much money central banks around the world are pumping into their economies, they're subsidizing everyone and virtually everything. And eventually, it's going to have adverse economic consequences. And so I think one of the keys going forward in the next couple of years that will determine whether an investor is successful or not navigating their way through this is just having an understanding of inflation, deflation, and stagflation and understanding what investments do well in each of these economic environments. So we're going to spend three shows talking about this. So join us for that. We'll join you again next week with another edition of Making Money. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead, and we thank you for listening to us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.